Welcome to the Mobility Innovators Podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm so happy to welcome all listeners from around the world to Mobility Innovators Podcast. I'm your host, Jaspal Singh. Mobility Innovator Podcast invites key innovators in the transportation and logistics sector to share their thoughts about the key changes in the sector, about their work, and what is their forecast for the future. I'm very excited about my conversation with a special guest today, as we will be discussing open innovation. Our today's guest is an amazing corporate innovator. He started his journey as a marketing communication specialist, but with his talent and grit, became head of open innovation at Transfer for London. Innovation is in the DNA of EFL, and the agency was completing more than 30 million journey every day before the pandemic. He's leading open innovation activity at EFL, promoting public and private sector collaboration to realize cost saving, increase revenue, deliver policy outcome faster, and drive more employee engagement. He is also the guest lecturer at the University of Oxford and Royal College of Art, teaching and discussing practical application in open innovation. He's my mentor and one of my favorite people in the public transport space. I'm so happy to welcome Rikesh Shah, head of open innovation at Transport for London. It's now time to listen and learn. Hello, Rikesh. Thank you so much for joining us on this show. I'm really looking forward uh, to our conversation today. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Jasper. So today I'll be spending time getting to know more about you, your current role, and your thought on the innovation in the mobility sector. And to begin with, I would like to ask you to share a little more about yourself with our listener. And also, are there any interesting facts about your career that are not on LinkedIn? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Jasper. So I'm the head of Vulcan Innovation at Transport for London. And I've been at Transport for London now for 21 years. And I've done a wide range of roles at Transport for London, you know, from roles in digital tech, digital partnerships, to marketing, uh, and a wide range of other things. So being at Transport for London for 21 years, it's given me, it's given me a great opportunity to try different things. Um, secondly, the, uh, I have transport in my family. So my father worked for TFL's predecessor organizations for 38 years. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you know, combined, we, we really needed on 60 years together. So transport has genuinely been in the blood. So it's a 60 year of uh, transportation experience in the family. That's great. <laughs> yeah, it's good discussions around the dinner table. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure, you know, comparing how it was in the past and how it is look like. So now my second question is you, you earned your bachelor in economics and social policy and you did your master in marketing management. And, and like you mentioned, after that, you started your career with Transport for London as a marketing communication specialist. But the major change happened in your professional journey when you joined as a senior manager of digital partnership and open data in 2014 and became a head of innovation in 2017. So I'm curious to know about the journey from marketing expert to a corporate innovator. And how did you convince internally to set up an innovation hub? Would you like to share some interesting experience during this journey? Yeah, sure. I, I think an important element a milestone in my career was doing the social policy and the public policy side of things. And that really gave me an understanding of creating social value and, and the importance of creating social value where you create a society that's, that's focused on equity, that's accessible. And you think about some of the positive things that a government agency does and also how it protects us from some of the adverse impacts that, 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 that society needs to be protected from. So I think I really enjoyed the, some of the conversations around public policy and, 
and, and social value. And then I think starting, you know, my first role in marketing and doing my master's in marketing whilst I was at Transport for London really gave me a focus on the importance of the customer. And the customer is the most important thing and the most important element of any organization. And in our case, you know, when we ask customers what they want, they broadly want three things. Now, firstly, we need to make sure that every journey that we provide is reliable, it's safe, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And without that, that's a basic requirement. We have to get that right. Linked to that, customers want value for money. They want to make sure that when they're making that journey, they feel they've got value. And finally, what our customers are saying is they want us to be more progressive and to be more innovative. Yeah. So what I really realized doing, doing the first role in marketing and focus on marketing is really understanding the role of the customer, really start thinking about the end-to-end -end experience. Think about the context of mobility in a large city. Start thinking about integration when someone in the morning walks, they may then you get, get to their bus stop, they then use a bus, then they use the, the tube network and they might use other forms of modes. So really what's that end-to-end -end user journey? And where are the customer satisfaction elements within that? And how do we continuously drive more customer satisfaction? So in particular, sustainable forms of transport becomes the mode of, modes of choice. So that, that was certainly one of my, my first couple of learnings in, in my career. And then I think there were a couple of significant milestones. I was really fortunate to work on the Open Data Program and Digital Partnerships Program, where we were working with three different tiers of partners. You know, one was very much the tier one platform owners, the, the Apple Maps, the Google Maps, the Twitter, yeah. many others, uh, Amazon Web Services. We were then working with some of the niche app providers like uh, Bus Times uh, uh, and a series of other uh, transport related products yeah uh, and others and and then and then thirdly we were working with some of the you know academic institutes some of the operational sort of specialist transport planners who are using our data and what we found is by releasing this data you can form some incredible partnerships you know at one stage we had 17,000 registered users of our open data these were 17,000 brains that were helping to solve some of our problems. And at that time, 42% of Londoners were using an app powered by TFO data. So we we're engaging, back to the earlier point, we we're engaging with the customer through their channel of choice. So they were getting lots of good information. And we we're also getting data back from the likes of Waze and others around how we can run our operations more effectively. So answering your question of how do we that move to the innovation hub? Well, if we could solve problems jointly by co-developing solutions with the market, particularly in open data partnerships, well, surely we could do more of that way of working in terms of just open innovation, where we're much better at defining our problems, we're much better at co-developing solutions by providing subject matter expertise and data, and then trialing some of the solutions. So I think that's where we found that big change. And, and it wasn't just a change in terms of how TFL deals with the market, but it was also a change in in terms of how we set ourselves up as, as an organization, where you bring in HR colleagues, engineering colleagues, tech and data colleagues, commercial colleagues, innovation colleagues, all together to say, what's the problem that we're trying to solve here? Can we take our badges off? Can we focus on this problem that we're trying to solve? And let's really think about how do we work with the market? How do we test 
and, and develop an MVP, a minimum viable product? How do we iterate it? And how do we genuinely get to a stage to say, is this concept, this product that we're trialing useful and is it working? And can it create a business case? And if it doesn't, let's fail, let's learn from it quickly. But if it does, well, then let's develop a business case. So really fascinating journey and um, re really interesting to do that in a, in a public sector organization. Well, thank you for sharing. You mentioned some of the great points, and I think it's not valid only for transportation or public transport agency. It's valid for all the company, putting the customer at the center and try to identify whether this uh, solution will solve the problem which customer face, or it's just adding up one more layer of complexity for the customer uh, to find the detail. So these are great points. Thank you for sharing that. And in fact, my next question is linked with what you have partially answered is, that public organizations are not designed for innovation and change, and especially the public transport organization. And PFL is very different as it's credited with some of the best, our world's first project, including world first underground line, traffic signaling system, smart ticketing, open data policy, which you just mentioned. So can you share brief overview of open innovation department within TFL? Who are your clients? And also what is the organization structure look like? The number of employees and the level and key role within this department? Yeah. So I think what's really important is before you even go into the detail what the function does, is what's the strategic purpose of the organisation. So in our case, we, we look to the Mayor's Transport Strategy to give us the guide. And the Mayor's Transport Strategy sets out that 80% of trips in London will be made by walking, cycling and public transport yeah. or transit by 2041. Yeah. So that gives us a very clear focus. And then... The open innovation team then starts thinking about what does this actually mean when we start going into the mayor's transport strategy. So, you know, a key pillar of the mayor's transport strategy is about a healthier London. Hmm. So that means that how do we ensure that the air that people are breathing isn't polluted and doesn't help generate you know, respiratory diseases, or at least we tackle aim to tackle that. How do we encourage people to be more active by reducing type two diabetes? and obesity in our city? How do we reduce the, the tragedies around road safety where we had 96 deaths uh, in, in 2020 um, and we get it to zero and we won't stop until we get it to zero? Yeah. Well, how do we continuously provide a good public transport experience? You know, and, and thinking about what innovations we can bring in that, that domain. And finally, the role of transport is much more than just moving people from A to B. It's about thinking about um, that's creating economic hubs, creating more housing, and, and, and creating a sense of community, and, and creating a transport network that's for all. So as soon as we start thinking about all of that, you start coming into particular problems and challenges that the city's facing. And not all of them can be solved in, in a traditional approach. And that's where innovation comes in to say, with advances in technology, how do we in the innovation hub help do that? So answering one of your questions, who are our clients? TFL is a large organization. We have 27,000 people. Hmm. And that's direct employees. If we start thinking about indirect employees through our franchises, that would be hundreds of thousands. Yeah. You know, 20 plus thousand bus drivers, etc. So what's really important is to start really framing the question of where are the big challenges that we have and how can the open innovation team add most value? So we are constantly engaging with you know, the head of the tube network, the head of the bus network, the head of the roads network, also some of the internal support services. 
and really thinking of them as our partners. Okay. We're really working with them to say, how can we help you solve your problems? Not only develop nice proof of concepts, but business cases that are scaled. And then as a result of scale, you realize some of the benefits. And some of the benefits may be realized in the short term, some of the benefits may be realized in the slightly longer term. And what we do within the Open Innovation Team is we have a series of specialists. And some of this one part of the team focuses on design thinking and problem mm. solving and really understanding the right problem. Because sometimes large corporates can get a bit worried about failure and can yeah. get worried about risk. So what's really important here is we really understand the right problem that we're trying to solve. And we work closely with the business areas to define the right problem statement in the right context. Somewhere like London, it's a complicated setup. You've got legacy systems, yeah. you've got multiple systems, if it's a data or a tech-related program. You've got different forms of transport overlapping with each other. You know, below ground, you have different fiber, you have tunnels, you have water, utilities, lots of people. Uh, so so it's, not, it's not a greenfield site. So starting to put all of that context together, how do we define the right problem in the right context? Secondly, how do we run the experiments, the pilots? And even before we do that, how do we ensure we're focusing on the high value ones? Yeah. How do you focus on the right conditions that the business area, the sponsor will be really interested, they'll provide the right assets, access to the assets, the right people. Um, and then we're also realizing that more people want to, the market wants to work with us. So how do we set up the right conditions to work closely with the market, to scout the market, where the market might want to invest in some R&D with us? And the most relevant as a public body is if you're working with the market, you need to be open and transparent. How yeah. do you make sure you have the right procurement processes in the right culture? And, and suddenly the open innovation team is acting as a center of excellence to help the organization scale. In some instances, we get very involved end to end. In other instances, it's much more of a light touch. So we don't want to get in the way of good innovation in the organization. Our role is to provide that ear cover where needed but also to help promote all the good innovation that's taking place across the organization or with our supply chain. Thank you. Thank you for sharing all this point. I mean, these are, these are great uh, points and, and I really love what you mentioned about understanding the problem. And, and I think there was a quote which say that if you understand the problem, clearly you solve it 80%. So rest 20% is, is just understanding the solution. But first thing is to understand the problem, which a lot of people don't be. And, and understanding the business case uh, is very important because a lot of time we do innovation, but we don't have a business case. And that's what's happening in the market right now. We see a lot of startups are going out of business because they don't have a real business case, uh, which is remarkable uh, what you just mentioned. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, in fact, my next question is also linked with what you just touched upon about the public procurement. Uh, and I actually survey 40 transport authorities and operator across the globe. And all of them were keen to embrace innovation, work with startup and industry, but they mentioned one important point and they said they don't know how to fulfill the public procurement requirement or public procurement rules. And I would say TFL is one of the agency which managed to decode this. A uh, lot of them are still struggling, but you managed to decode how to work with these innovators and all. So instead of having a conventional tendering invitation, you release a problem statement and invite innovative idea from the market. Uh, I would love if you can share a little more about this approach and, and share a couple of examples. How do you do that? Yeah, so I think 
the first thing is procurement or commercial colleagues are critical partners to deliver innovation. And I think we have to move away from the notion that procurement and innovation are two separate ends of the spectrum and they just mm. can't get on with each other. In fact, I've, I've found completely the opposite where some of the challenge we get and support we get from procurement colleagues has actually helped us deliver a better outcome. And so what we've done is we have commercial people within our team and the principles that a good procurement manager or a commercial manager should be doing are adhered to. You know, we're open, we're transparent, and, and we engage with anyone fairly and, and, and as through a level playing field. You know, and, and, and as an innovation person, that, those rules are not there to be broken. They're yeah. first principles. I think, secondly, what we found is by working in partnership with procurement colleagues is some of it is them upskilling the innovation part of the function, but also there's some of it where the innovation team is trying to upskill procurement colleagues. Hmm. How do you create this culture of a commercial manager being more entrepreneurial and being more interested in innovation and and and, and thinking about and making their role more interesting and then bringing yeah. innovation to their role? And what we found is the commercial people that sit within our team are exactly like that, where they start thinking about different categories and how emerging technologies can help us deliver better procurements in the future. And some of the things that we've started to do is we don't always pick programs that have a defined timeline because there's a, sometimes a tendency in, public, in the public sector that you need to produce and deliver something within X months. So if you need to do that, what happens immediately is the room for innovation is really limited. Yeah. So, so what our team's doing now is starting to think about the pipeline in the future where innovation could get involved, but there isn't that immediate time pressure. So that's point one. I think the second point is really being open with the market to say, here's some of the problems and here's the context around it. What ideas do you have? So let's not go out there with a really complicated uh, expression of interest or early market engagement. Let's really hone in on the problem and spend enough time on the problem. Yeah. And go to the market and just say, what ideas do you have? And then let's have further conversations with the market to say, you know, can you just clarify what you meant by some of the solutions that you're presenting? And then if we're still not sure, let's start running some trials. Hmm. But let's be clear with the market that these trials are being run to inform our future thinking before we put the RFP out there. And, and then by doing that, the market is also able to test some of its innovative ideas and technologies uh, in this context. So that's one area, and generally that works quite well for some of the corporate organizations that have an R&D team. Then there's another way, which is we run a procurement procedure called the Innovative Partnerships Procedure. Okay. And that procedure was, how do we set a problem statement, but then do the R&D and the scaling as part of the same procurement? And the idea there was to make it easier for anyone to do enter the procurement. So we didn't go out with a really complicated you know, 60 page RFP, we kept it quite simple. Yeah. And we said in response, the SQ stage was quite straightforward, which is the first stage in the procurement. And we asked some straightforward questions and we asked, rather than asking for lots of insurance cover and lots of large revenues from the last few years, actually one of the questions was, will you have a runway in six months time? So mm. that really helped startups to, to, to get involved in the program. And what we found is we then ran nine proof of concepts in 10 weeks, primarily with startups, and we paid them 
£20,000 each. But more importantly for them, we also gave them access to some of the complicated assets in London to really test their yeah. products in a real-life scenario. And then following that, we selected two projects, two products, which have been scaled now in our control centre. So that's an example where you've started with the R&D and some, uh, you've started with some proof of concepts, you've done some R&D, and you've scaled the programme in, in a mid-term contract. So it's a really good example of sort of an end-to-end uh, element where which we're now hoping to realise the benefits through. Um, and there are multiple other procurement routes that we've tried, but that can only happen by the innovation team being absolutely clear on what outcomes it wants. And yeah. commercial colleagues working with them to say, well, here's a series of routes that we could work through, as opposed to, which is what I've seen in my organization and elsewhere, is some innovative entrepreneur in the organization runs a proof of concept, the proof of concept's really nice, but then the procurement team will come in and say, you didn't do this openly, you didn't do it transparently, so we need to start again. And, and, and that not only is frustrating for the innovator, it's frustrating for the market who got mm. involved in that program, but it's also frustrating for the procurement colleague to say, you've done something really interesting here, but you didn't approach it in the right way. So what I'm finding is my innovation colleagues working with my commercial colleagues working hand in hand adds real value. Well, that's a great point. Uh, and I agree with you. Uh, having a six month runway for startup is very important because sometimes they don't have that much of runway. And if uh, this project is not successful, uh, eventually they will die. Or even if it's successful, they don't have capacity to execute the project. And and I think it's it's important what you mentioned is uh, using that how might we statement, uh, which we do in a lot of this management and IT consultancy, is how might we, we solve that problem. So using that statement will be really powerful. And and thank you for sharing. Uh, I think it's a it's a wonderful process which other agencies can also think about and adopt. Thank uh, you. Now, you mentioned in the past that uh, cooperation and co-innovation with external stakeholders, including Startup Accelerator, Venture Capitalists, Corporate Academy is important to solve some of the challenges faced by the Transport Authority. You rightly mentioned you cannot solve the new problem with the old solution. You have to have a new solution to solve these problems. So can you share a recent example of such cooperation and how can a transport agency structure these partnerships? You already mentioned uh, how you work with the internal colleague, but how you work with the external colleague. And further, how do you manage to convince other departments to adopt this change? Uh, especially, so procurement is on role, but let's say if you're doing something for maintenance or something for operation, you got some wonderful idea, some wonderful organization, but then you take those ideas to these departments and either they don't take it forward or they kill the innovation then and there. So how do you make sure whatever innovation and new idea you found, it actually succeed in the, in the last? So, so I'm going to split the answers into two. So the first one is, how do we work with the markets and how do we form these co-creation partnerships? And I think it's really essential to build partnerships and build these collaborations because traditionally, large corporates can be a bit too transactional. Mm. And so, so you, you don't really think about the partnerships and you, and you think about just this one-off contract. And that doesn't create long-term value for, for, for either party. So a couple of examples that I'll touch on is we worked with Bosch recently. Okay. And with Bosch, they helped create a new innovation hub in London 
called a connect tree. And the idea was that we would share our problem statements like we would with anyone else. We would also give them access to data, we'll give them access to some of our subject matter experts, and they would in turn bring some of their subject matter experts and, and R&D experts with some of the products that they're developing. And think if some of these emerging technologies that and solutions that they're working on could add value to some of our problems and could they help solve some of our problems. And we did this as a pilot to see if TFL is well equipped to work in this way. Because going back to my earlier point, transactional is more straightforward perhaps because yeah. it's in the contract, it's in the terms and conditions, you know what's expected. Here, when it comes to innovation, you don't even know what the output is, but you, but you know what problem you're trying to solve. And actually what we found was some really interesting findings. You know, the first one is taking badges off, and I keep on quoting this, working with Bosch, we both were very focused on the same problem. And one particular problem was, if we held traffic back from densely populated areas to less densely populated areas through traffic signaling and traffic interventions, what impact does it have when the traffic smoothly flows through the less densely populated area? Hmm. And what we did is sometimes when you think about air quality, you measure it at quite a macro level. So yeah. sensors are really high up. You may not factor in the typology of the, the, the buildings, the local environment, the type of traffic going through. So what Bosch did here is a real hyperlocal view of multiple data sets all coming together to give you an accurate view of what are you breathing in at a given time. So we're able to test this intervention in detail and develop a model. And actually what we found is by applying this, this intervention at this particular lo location at Brixton High Street, it really helped reduce the exposure to bad air. Mm. So we're now thinking of applying the same model for 1200 traffic signal changes across London. So a great example of co-developing a solution with them. Now, how did we get the business area involved? You've got to create this matrix team, which consists of the business. And actually for me, the business is critical to this whole matrix team. They mm. own the problem. They are sponsoring the problem that we're trying to solve. So they need to be happy with the problem that we're trying to solve. And that means it's got to be a problem that's genuinely a concern for them that they're struggling to solve and they want it to be solved. So we go through quite a complicated value exercise saying, will this problem be scaled if it's successful? Will the solutions already be scaled if it's successful? successful. Yeah. And so, so really winning those hearts and minds internally to say, we will be a trusted partner of yours and we will help you solve this problem or we will certainly do our best to solve this problem in a completely unique way. And let's see where it goes. And we're fortunate that we have some really, you know, colleagues with foresight and our openness. And as a result, we're able to jointly work together to solve this problem. And it's really inspiring to see how a third party, because we also had academic institutes involved with this, startups involved with this, TFL involved. So you have to seven or eight partners on this problem with the local municipality. And the way they were solving this together, where you're brainstorming ideas and suddenly you're having a conversation because you're all in the same room about something else. And you think actually that is a really important point. We should yeah. be solving that. But suddenly you're thinking about problem solving really holistically and they're really inspiring. No, I can imagine the discussion having so many innovators in the same room and uh, thinking a problem or idea in a different perspective. So startup will bring out, uh, because they don't have a legacy of a traditional system. So they will come out with a solution which is 
innovative and uh, can be out of the box, but at the same time, having people who are running those system to check the validity and feasibility of some of those ideas. So it can be, I think there must be a lot of aha moment in that discussion is like, ah, we never yeah. thought about that. <laughs> and I think a lot of it, Jasper, it's just openness and a mindset, which is both organizations are curious or all organizations, sorry, are curious, they're vulnerable in terms of they don't, they're happy to admit that I don't know all the answers. Yeah. And, and, and suddenly you're, you're genuinely problem solving without any egos. And it's amazing, you know, when it works, as you say, that aha moment, it's, 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 it's really, really powerful because this, this in the innovation space, some of these things haven't been done before. So things mm -hmm. will go wrong and you may need to iterate or you may need to stop. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think like you mentioned, the accepting that you don't know something is the most powerful statement because that's a, that's open up a door to learn uh, yeah. with the fresh eyes. So, so thank you for sharing that. The next one I want to ask about is the pandemic and the pandemic had a negative impact on the transportation sector. So TFL was responsible for more than 31 million journey every day before the pandemic, including 5 million on tubes and 7 million on buses. So how's the number look like uh, during the pandemic and now how much recovery you have and uh, did innovation help in the recovery stage? Did some of these innovative idea help to bring back the, the passenger? And one of the point which you mentioned earlier about the London has a very ambitious future plan. You have this North Star uh, that 80% of all trip in London to be made by foot, by cycle and using public transport by 2041. Uh, how do you think that open innovation will help you achieve this goal? Yeah, I mean, the pandemic has had a drastic impact on cities and, and transport agencies across the world. And you know, if, if I think about going back a couple of years now, um, and thinking about my role at, up in, for the last 20 years has been to encourage people to use public transport, because certainly overnight, it's, 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 it's encouraging people not to use public transport and stay at home. It's a big cultural, big cultural change, and you know suddenly we had a, a drastic drop in terms of ridership, as you'd expect, and, and yeah. like other transport agencies, and our role became, you know, to, to encourage and support key workers to move around safely and securely, to get to the, the hospital, to get to uh, the re retail shops. Uh, and so forth. And so it was a big, big reduction in public transport usage. And that has lots of impact. You know, that has an impact in terms of uh, the safety of our staff uh, and making sure they're safe, the safety of key workers as they're moving around our network. So we're thinking about our cleaning regime, enforcement of masks, how do we protect driver screens. It had, has a big impact in terms of uh, providing the right marketing messaging. Um, to, to, to work closely with other partners. So we've had a, it, it's had a significant impact. And what we're seeing now, thankfully, is, a, is an increase in ridership. Yeah. And you know, we're around 70, 80% on the buses and, and, and tube. And you know, just last week, we launched the Elizabeth line, yeah. and which is a, a significant milestone. It's, it's, it's one of the largest infrastructure projects in Europe. And that's connecting East and West London. So really encouraging to see. So we're certainly seeing, an, 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 uh, uh, we're certainly not at the pre-pandemic levels, but we're seeing more ridership than we were. Answering your question on 
what it's meant for open innovation. So we were definitely involved. And when you have a crisis like this, lots of problems are just surfacing. We were having a regular you know, stand-up call with the wider yeah. organization. And a couple of problem statements that we got involved with. One was as well, there were new hospitals being built uh, to support uh, the NH or support NHS to as part of the pandemic response. And as a new bus route was being developed, we wanted to make sure that people, doctors and nurses aren't waiting at a bus stop congregated in a confined area. So we created new data sets where you can provide real-time information on exactly where the bus is using GPS signals. And this was done in two weeks. You know, we had new bus routes, we had real-time information, and all of that was communicated to key workers. And that was done in, in, through the innovation team, working with multiple colleagues across TFL. So a great example of you know, agile working in a sprint manner in a two-week sprint and delivering something so fast. And there's been lots of other examples like that. So it's as a takeaway, it's really important that we keep that agility and that spirit around problem solving and doing it as quickly as possible. And also, if we get it wrong, failing, failing fast, learning from it, but moving yeah. to the next thing. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's been a really tough time the last few, few years, uh, but there has been some learnings and innovation has, 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 played, a, has played a role with it, within it, which, which we need to keep going on. No, oh, you, you rightly mentioned innovation actually helped to do that recovery faster. I mean, nobody thought we will have vaccination so fast. So it's because of uh, this new innovation and new technology we have uh, vaccination so fast. And I, I love some of the word you mentioned in your answer about agility, sprint, uh, failing fast, because generally you don't hear these words from a public transport agencies or, or public organization. It's, it's a term we use in a, in a top tier IT companies, but I love to hear these words from you because that's how the world is that you need to uh, do faster. Uh, you can't wait like two weeks, you implemented the whole solution, which is remarkable because I think in many organizations, two weeks is just to get the approval to think about those kind of solutions. So, <laughs> so it's remarkable you managed to do it. Thank you. So uh, another big change that happened due to pandemic and, and, uh, and actually why I want to ask this question, because you were the part of that TFL open data strategy and set up the whole digital and data partnership function in 2014. And you mentioned that uh, at, at one particular time, there was 17,000 developer uh, built more than 700 customer facing app, which was used by 42% of London. It's, it's remarkable. But uh, during the pandemic, what we noticed that TFL launched its own app, TFL Go in 2021. And actually it is, uh, it's received very well by everybody uh, in London. And there were a lot of uh, good word about the app. Uh, so I'm curious to understand why this change in approach, why to go from open uh, data policy and launching your own app. And further, is there a plan to offer any loyalty reward to bring back Passenger through this app? So, so I think, the answer will be quite a short one, which is there was, there was a failure in the market in terms of some of the information that was being provided. And one particular area was, as we're a transport service for all in our city, some of the accessibility information just wasn't good enough. Okay. And as a result, because of that market failure, we, we felt we had to intervene through this app. So it started very much focusing on accessibility and providing uh, the right information. Um, answering your question on loyalty, I, I don't know, and, and there are there are no plans as, as I'm aware. But it's an it's outside of my area right now. So, oh. 
No, but I mean, the, I, I agree with you. There are this market failure, which led the, uh, TFL to take everything in command and do it. And and future, you never know. I mean, there'll be more features will come in the in the future. So you never know how the future look like. So shifting a gear a bit, uh, because I want to take advantage of your vast experience in mobility sector. So you must be meeting with hundreds of industry experts, startup ecosystem partner, who must be sharing a lot of idea about the future of mobility. And that's what we see everywhere. Uh, we see uh, autonomous mobility, we see mobility as a service, we see urban air mobility, electric vehicle, e-scooter, many other more. So I would like to ask you which technological innovation you are more bullish about and what is your view on all these buzzwords, what we hear these days in the market? Yeah, it's a good question. And I, and I think, you know, there is a lot of hype in mobility and a lot of the hype is generated by people that have created new products. And, you know, when, when I sit down with my team, we don't necessarily talk about, you know, blockchain or quantum computing or immersive technologies when we're thinking about solving problems. What we're thinking about is let's really understand the problem that we're trying to solve and then think about what type of product could help solve that problem. But we don't start with, we've got to do an immersive tech solution for this problem, or we've got to do a blockchain based solution because I'm interested in blockchain. It's got to be around how, how can we solve these problems that we have? So I, I think the industry and uh, uh, as a whole, we, we need to be clear on what are the near-term solutions through the emerging technologies out there. And by near-term, I mean one to five years. Yeah. And then what are some of the longer-term solutions, which could be the 15 to 20 years? And let's be honest to ourselves to say, you know, we, so I'll give you one example, connected autonomous vehicles. Now, we don't have to move all the way from where we are now to connected autonomous vehicles. London streets, yeah, level five across London streets. We can also think about what do connected cars do right now for us hmm. and how can they add value? So we're working with a series of partners, uh, OEMs and others, you know, we're working with Daimler to get some data back about the connected car and understand what's going on on the road network. So the point here is that you might be creating solutions and products that could be a 15, 20, 30 year sort of bet but some components of it could be relevant right now. Hmm. So let's make sure that we're thinking about today's problems as well as thinking about what this could do in, in the long run. So that's really important that we, we do that. And it's important for us as a city authority to be having that dialogue to say, our problems around road safety, about being more active, about creating a transport for all, our problems that we have and challenges we have right now, how can we work with you to solve some of these, some of these problems? No, I agree with you that incremental approach is always works. So rather than going all big change, uh, one should adopt this incremental change. And like you rightly said, you don't need to go to level five for autonomy. In fact, you can use this connected autonomous vehicle data to understand the driver behavior and understand how you can make your road more safer and achieve that vision zero uh, project. Uh, you partially already answered uh, my next question, but I, I actually want to ask you about these latest technology, which is Web3 Metaverse and NFT. Uh, you mentioned <laughs> you you don't get excited with these buzzwords about blockchain and all, but uh, but I must say that TFL is one of the early earlier adopter of augmented reality to train their maintenance staff. I remember how the maintenance department used 
augmented reality to train the staff uh, in a room and then take them to a real workshop so is tfl exploring these other technology like web3 metaverse and nft or uh, what do you think or what do you see as a key benefit and challenge of these technology uh, just want to share some of the idea which comes to my mind to build a like a virtual transit network system and earn money through digital ad in metaverse or launch a nft transit pass with special privilege or nft collections uh, in fact uh, uh, brightline train in miami uh, they launched the nft collection uh, tfl has so much of arts uh, around its station so is there any plan to sell any digital arts or doing anything in those area or no plan yet so as far as i'm aware there's no plans yet um but i think what's what's relevant here is as an innovation department open innovation department is whilst i focused on problems you do need some sort of horizon scanning and foresight capability so something that i do ask my team to think about is with some of the advances in technology what are the potential applications in the context of transport yeah. and that's now and in the future and i think it's important to to have that insight because then when you're trying to solve problems you might be able to say there are only products out there or solutions out there that could be applied to solve this problem so so yeah what, what what's really important is we don't just have a really interesting piece of technology out there and then we try and put the problem into it and and hope it works it's got to be the other way around you start with the problem and then see what solutions are out there so building that capability internally is is really important so then when we engage with the market we can have a much more intelligent conversation i think in terms of the different types of technologies that are out there you know connectivity is very interesting and it may feel already old school but i think you know where are we with connectivity and what does that mean when we start thinking about computer vision ai and and making more aut automated decisions i think there's multiple definitions of the digital twin yeah and i think as an industry we need to be much better at what we mean by the digital twin and the challenges that it brings around consistent data standards a real single view of 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 how we approach the digital twin so that could be all the way from civil engineering to building the asset to maintaining and operating the asset to ultimately decommissioning the asset and and how does it integrate with other assets so it's a really interesting area the digital twin but i think yeah being being completely frank i think it's let's spend more time on defining the problems let's be intelligent about some of the technologies that are out there but let's not get too excited about being inventors and being the first to bring the technology in and then saying we were the first but not realizing the business value or the overall value uh, i think it's really important to focus on the problem and see what solutions can be more most effective yeah no i really love your answer uh, starting always with the problem not with the solution and that's what yeah. happening in some cases that uh, people come out with a solution and when you ask them what problem it's solving uh, they don't have answer so <laughs> so having problem first is always important not the solution uh what that could be my economist hat that that could be my economist hat you know going back all the way all those years to think about marginal value and marginal utility that that's very true and i can see that how it's linked with uh, economics marketing and innovation how it's uh, merging well in recently you were at the autonomous paris event and you had a very strong quote there which is mobility is much more than just moving people from a to b we have to make sure it's safe sustainable and equitable and i must say that this is a very powerful statement very simple but at the same time very powerful statement uh, 
how do you think uh, transit agencies can achieve it having a safe sustainable and equitable so i, th- I think it's it needs leadership and and it needs clarity of thought i think it's something that the whole organization needs to buy into um so it shouldn't just sit in separate departments and i, I think it's you know when when you're designing new initiatives new programs you're really thinking about uh the different outcomes that that that, that poten- potentially uh that could happen and that means that it's it comes back to a mindset which is everyone needs to and I say everyone needs to buy into it and you need to make sure it's measured that's true that it's and a lot of time we don't measure the impact uh whether it's any helpful or not and one other point on this one just felt is sometimes we think we know what the answer is and we forget about the different stakeholders involved in the process and in particular the end user so it's really you know when we talk about design thinking it's really important to have the the different different stakeholders different human beings as part of developing the solution um so so starting with this mvp being iterative and then coming up with the scalable solution is the right way of doing it in my view rather than doing the big reveal at the end yeah and also involving the customer in that process uh, sometimes these stakeholder were ignored and the solution were kind of imposed on them rather than involving them in the process well without the customers we we, we don't exist yeah <laughs> that's very true if there are no public transport user we we don't exist we don't need service uh, so we need to take care of them now we are kind of at the end so my next question is uh, what is your advice to other transit agencies which are looking to replicate tfl model which is very difficult to do because there is a legacy behind it but i i would uh, say that setting up a innovation department is a easy thing Uh, what is the heavy lifting stuff which is not visible because a lot of time i see a lot of authority has developed uh, extraordinary innovation department or innovation department but it it was never a success and also the agencies are open to experimenting but want to make sure they can go back or revert back to the to the change quickly if the pilot doesn't work uh, in short they don't want dependency due to the pilot i i spoke to a lot of agencies and they said they don't want to do a pilot because it will create a impression in public mind and it will be difficult for them to go back so how do you ensure there is always an option to go back to the status quo even when you are experimenting in a larger space so so the first thing is the internal culture which is you know, if you've got people that are really worried and and risk averse is how do you how do you build their confidence that you're not going to be maverick because innovation shouldn't be maverick it should be controlled yeah and and it should be thought through and as i say it should be revolving around the problem and and understanding how different parts different teams fit into that process so i think winning hearts and minds internally is critical i think as i say involving different end users as you're experimenting is also important and you're being open and transparent with what you're doing because if you're focusing on a data project people might get worried to say what type of data are you collecting what are you going to do with this data so let's be open and transparent with them and i think you don't always have to do everything in the public domain you don't need to do a big trial out there do a desktop exercise first yeah. bring in users into that conversation on desktop then roll out in the public domain so i think you know sometimes as innovators we want to do things really quickly hmm. 
And I think you really need to understand the context and the culture of your city and your organization and the people that you're serving. And every city will be different in that context. So I think really being careful, being open, being transparent, winning hearts and minds internally and externally, and also being absolutely clear on what the findings were. Yeah. And also then see what you're going to do next. And put your hands up when it hasn't worked. And say, we've tried this for these reasons, but it hasn't worked. Uh, or if it has worked, be clear on what you're doing next or what, or you may pivot further. So I think being being completely transparent is critical, particularly around emerging technologies, because I worry that some cities that I see, you, know, you may launch it and you, then you have to deal with the unintended consequences downstream. Yeah. So, so it's really important to test trial and test multiple questions and scenarios as far as you can. And be yeah. challenged, be open to being challenged. Yeah, that's true. And also, like you rightly mentioned, that have a focus group kind of a stuff and you can experiment in a closed environment. And once you get the feedback, then you should go in the open market and, and launch in a in a limited beta and uh, that kind of uh, environment. But yeah, you rightly mentioned that having a control group will always help. And transparency and openness will always help. Uh, when you are open and transparent, people will understand what you're trying to do. Lastly, what are you excited about in the future? And how is TFL planning to expand the open innovation culture? So, so one area that I feel really strongly about is how can the public sector embrace open innovation? And, and I think there's an incredible opportunity where we think about the public sector as an end client. The public sector across the world is, is, has a massive role to play. And I think we need to, as public civil servants, need to be much more open to innovation. We need to be much better at defining problems, curating the ecosystem, trialing things, testing things, and then scaling them. And ultimately, you know, that means that if it creates citizen value, it's a good thing. And I, I think there's an opportunity for the public sector to really embrace this. And people that say the public sector can't innovate, I do not agree with them. I see examples of public sector innovation every day, and there's some fantastic activity going on. And I think we should just, we should just build on that. Um, so, so that's certainly one area that excites me in terms of open innovation and what next. I think keep on experimenting, trying, being curious. I think we've got, got to be careful that we don't become native. Yeah. So keep that curiosity spirit and the agile ways of working going. But Ultimately, it's about winning hearts and minds and creating business value and ultimately making life better for Londoners. That's amazing. Now, we learn about open innovation. We learn about TFL. We learn about the work you did uh, at that place. Now we want to learn more about you, your personal side. Uh, and we have this rapid fire question round. And basically, we ask five questions to our guests and, and we want them to answer them quickly. So whatever comes to your mind. So if you're ready, I'll start. <laughs> Go for it. Okay. So if you were not in the marketing or innovation space, what other profession you would have selected? Accounting. Accountant. Yeah, I would have been an accountant. Uh, it's it's the plan or it's something you want to do or it's... No, so, so this is going back to university. So, so uh, I was always thinking I'll be an accountant. Then, then I tried it for a while and I said, that's not me. <laughs> so what, the what, what, and if it was something that I want to do now, uh, I'd want to be a tennis coach. Tennis coach. 
that's yeah. amazing uh, we have certain guests who want to be football coach so i think we will build a good team coach team now you travel so much around the world which is your favorite city in the world and i know it it must be difficult for you to pick one tel aviv tel aviv i i think that the the entrepreneurial uh spirit that i see there and in terms of diversity of thoughts and just the approach to product development and a very focused approach to product development is really inspiring i love that answer you know that's a one city which i never get a chance to visit and and that's my own radar uh, that i need to visit tel aviv because that's what i learned yeah it's uh, the innovation ecosystem now the next one is even even more difficult for you is which city has the best transit network in the world <laughs> so i i'll answer it twofold i think firstly i would say london if i'm biased of course yeah <laughs> but it, at the same time everybody like london so i can tell it's it has one of the best system and the other cities that that really come come to mind i th- i think it's either copenhagen or amsterdam and i think you see approach to cycling yeah. yeah some people say you can't do it in in sort of conditions weather conditions like northern europe but they've proven that you can you know it's it's really inspiring how how people approach cycling the whole culture of cycling in those cities you know the funny story is that one of the guests mentioned that in in amsterdam you can't uh, do can't confront the cyclists like they are so powerful like like in north america we have a car lobby in amsterdam there is a cyclist lobby so you can't touch anything you can't touch the lane you can't do anything so you have to fight with them if you want to do something so you rightly mentioned they have that car, the cyclist culture and and it's very strong it's amazing to see who's your favorite leader in the mobility sector so one being individual name but i think i'm really inspired by some of the work going on in india with the smart cities initiative where the way they're really trying to think about open data and they're trying to think about how do you make municipalities and cities better and you know london has a population of 9 million india has a population of 1.3 billion with hundreds of cities yeah and the way they're trying to drive that consistency across across india is is inspiring no that's true and that's what i example i give to people here in canada i said like we are not even one city in india uh, if if i compare with delhi and mumbai so we are uh, it's it's a large scale and it's difficult to do things in in india and my last question is if you can change one thing in your life what would it be i think let's make sustainability and active forms of transport a reality let's you know let's really walk more cycle more and use public transport more and realize this vision that, that we set out in london great thank you so much thank you rakesh i mean i really loved our conversation and uh, i really love your answer they were concise they were bang on the target what you are trying to convey i thank you so no, much for your time you. no likewise jasper thank you Thank you for listening to this podcast. We will be inviting some other inspiring guests in the coming week. You can subscribe to this podcast online to get the notification for the next episode. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to give us a five-star rating as it will help us to spread our message. If you have any feedback or suggestion for this podcast, please do write to us at info@mobility-innovator.com. At I look forward to see you next time.